0: Every Christian, in every time, every age, every generation, must answer this question. How are we to live in this culture? You see, there's never going to be a Christian culture. There's never going to be a Christian nation. There's never going to be a Christian state. There's never a Christian society. We're enculturated into culture, and every Christian must learn how to live in that culture. Now, look, I know some Christians have tried over the years to create a Christian state or a Christian culture, but if Constantine can't do it with all the powers of Rome, and if Calvin can't do it with all the powers and authority of Geneva, then nobody's going to be able to pull it off. And Jesus said, I did not take you out of the world, I've left you in the world. Why? So that we can be a light to the world. And so every Christian must learn and must think How do we live in this culture that we're placed in? And then culture is continually changing. So we must continue to ask that question. And we see that here in Daniel. Now what I see right now, and I get a lot of uh, emails as you would imagine. I don't say that to shame anybody or to tell you to quit emailing me. Keep emailing me. But I got a lot of emails that are hand-wringing in their nature. Uh, Here's this article I read in the news. What are we going to do about it? Here's this thing I saw in the news. What are we going to do about it? You've got to talk about this. You know, it's just hand-wringing, hand-wringing. But it's not nearly as bad as Daniel. Enslaved. Exiled. Away from his people. Being forced to do things he would never do. And Daniel chapter 1 gives us this beautiful picture of how we could live in a culture as faithful Christians. Three points. Let me give them to you. Be resolved. The second point, act reasonably. And then the third point, seek revelation. Be resolved. Act reasonably. And then seek revelation. Let me read the whole text and then we'll come back to it. But Daniel resolved, verse 8, chapter 1 of Daniel. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat, water to drink, and let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh then all the youths who ate the king's food so the steward took away the food and gave them the and took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables as for these four youths god gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom and daniel had the understanding in all visions and dreams and at the end of time when the king commanded that they should be brought in the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before nebuchadnezzar And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. First of all, be resolved. Now I'm going to need you to put on your thinking caps for just a second, but you're a smart crew. I know you can do this. I believe in you. Uh, Richard Niebuhr, years ago, came up with a structure for how Christians can kind of understand how we're to live in culture. And there are five paradigms that he worked through. I want to present these to you. You might have heard of them. Maybe you haven't. The first one is this. You can believe in Christ against culture, and that would be a rejection of the culture that you're in. You could be Christ of culture, meaning Christians just become assimilated into the culture and don't actually change very much. And you would see Christians and you're like, oh, they don't look any different than the other people. Christ above culture is a synthesis where you're kind of outside of culture. Think about monks, think about mystics, that's a belief in a philosophy, the Benedictine option of uh, Roger Ayer. Christ and culture and paradox, there's a dualism. There it was on the screen just for a second. Christ and culture and paradox, there's a dualism there where you're living in a dualistic culture. You allow culture to do your own thing, and then you are in paradox with that. And then Christ transforming culture. And hopefully we'll get that back on the screen so you can see all of those and be able to take them down. Christ and culture, Christ transforming culture, which is we try to convert the culture that we're in Now, of all of those, we're not saying that there's one right option, but theologians have used that framework for years now, decades now, to understand how you're interacting with culture. Most in our stream is the last one. That's where Calvin and Luther and others would have been. Kuyper would have been in that stream. Christ transforming culture. But all of them have their problems, and all of them have their benefits. You have to think about what is your interaction with culture. Now, Christ transforming culture, which is largely in our stream, has led to two major kind of philosophies that are particularly uh, of interest to this church in Greenville, South Carolina. The first one is fundamentalism. Very well known in South Carolina and then Greenville in particular. And fundamentalism, I'm not going to go into it very long, but fundamentalism basically said, we're going to stick to these fundamentals and everybody needs to believe these. But here's the problem. Fundamentalism started to realize... Uh, everybody's not believing these we need to expand and add because we need this to be as homogeneous as possible and so the things that are not just the majors but the minors the periphery the thing on the outsides you must believe those too and it quickly became not about fundamentalism but it became about creating a subculture to get everybody to believe exactly what you believe and actually enforcing that now, the culture downstream from that, that our youth are dealing with, now I'm speaking about our college kids and our 20 year olds, is deconstructionism. It's much more popular in other parts of the world, but our covenant kids that I talk to on a fairly regular basis, our college kids that I talk to on a fairly regular basis, are de- dealing with deconstruction, which is basically this. I still believe in Jesus. But I need to deconstruct all the things that you told me I had to believe on top of that to get to the bottom of what this belief in Christ is actually about. So our staff talked uh, the other day about some of our college kids who are like, wait, you never told me I didn't have to believe uh, in a seven-day, literal, 24-hour creation that actually the PCA holds that there are four different creation views that are all valid as interpretations of Scripture. Y'all never told me that. What else did you lie to me about? What else did you not tell me? What else did you force me to believe that now I can, I, I've been believing that but I never felt right with me and I can't find that in Scripture anymore? And so there's a process of Deconstructionism. Now let me throw out this as well. I'm just going to muddy the waters for a little while here, if that's okay with you. We also have a lack of dialogue. And we have a lack of the principle of conscience and the principle of conviction. And by that I mean this. When we have a lack of dialogue in the culture that we're in, where we're just shouting at each other, and we have a lack of the principle of conscience and conviction that you might be convicted about something, and I might be convicted about something else, then the result of that kind of culture that we're in is this. The only way to validate your opinion or your belief is to get everybody else to believe it as well. So let's see how this plays out. Uh, Chick-fil-A, somebody would say, I don't want to eat their chicken nuggets because of the Kathy's family's foundation and what they believe about marriage. So I'm not going to eat their chicken nuggets. That was typically fine for people to do. Boycotting has always been a part of society. I'm not going to eat their nuggets, but you must not eat their nuggets either. Not only will I not eat their nuggies, you must not have their nuggies. We call them nuggies in our family, I in case you don't. Uh, Neither one of us can have them. I, I now have to force this upon not only me. This is not just my personal conviction. But you must share this same conviction that I share. And there can't be any issues where we have dual convictions on. Or different convictions. Now, let's talk about the beauty of Christianity. And just like last week I said you can't possibly understand Ezekiel without understanding John. I don't think you can understand Daniel without understanding 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Whereas, where Paul is writing to an acculturated people to help them understand how they live in that culture at that time. And there's so much beauty in Corinthians. For example, in 1st Corinthians 12, he says, There are one body, many parts. And so the assumption of Paul is this you're going to be different than I am. And I'm going to be different than you are. And we're going to have different skills. And we're going to have different giftings. Okay, that's beautiful. But there's also different levels of conviction. That actually can be celebrated in different levels of conscience. For example, my wife and I have different levels of conscience. And different levels of conviction in regards to movies. I'm picking one that's safe for us. I don't need to bear everything about my marriage with you. Just picking a safe one. I love watching war movies. I love history. I love feeling the tension of it. I love Saving Private Ryan. I love Band of Brothers. She doesn't want to watch a movie where anybody gets shot ever. That's fine. When we go to decide what movie we're to watch... I cannot force upon her what is her conviction. You must now watch this. If you really loved me, Elizabeth, you would watch this. If you really cared for me, you would watch Saving Private Ryan for the tenth time. Well, your conviction is silly. This is the real world. It's her conviction. So we settle and watch The Bachelorette, which is... (laughs) I think that qualifies as a war movie it's just it's emotional carnage I mean there's nothing pretty about the thing we, we don't actually watch well she does a little bit I won't say that in the third service where she will be there but in 1 Corinthians 10 remember what Paul says all things are beneficial all things are permissible but not everything's beneficial all things are lawful But that doesn't mean you do all things. And so back to Daniel. One, Daniel resolved. Not all the Israelites resolved. Not all the Israelites even in the king's court resolved. But Daniel resolved. This is my conviction. For me and for Mishael. For Hananiah. For Azariah. In other words, 1 Corinthians 10 again. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Daniel in this culture says, I am resolved to live this way. Now let's just think for a second about the other books of the Bible. Esther chose a completely different way How she was going to interact with culture Joseph chose a completely different way About how he was going to interact with culture ezekiel was above it all he would be a christ above culture kind of guy so with joel so with amos so with micah they would all be christ above culture they were kind of weird they sat over to the side they prophesied they weren't trying to work their way into the king's court they weren't trying to acquiesce to some of the demands that the king would have they weren't doing any of that and so there's a disparity there like it says in second corinthians again corinthians Second Corinthians 9, each one must give, talking about generosity, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctant, reluctant or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So each person has to decide, in the culture that they live in, how are you, with your gifting, with your inner influence, going to best glorify God in the culture that you're in? and be resolved here's another if you're not a believer let me also say this here's another beautiful thing about christianity there is so many new testament passages if you're a christian just think that talk about and give us frameworks for how we disagree with one another Give each other the benefit of doubt. Think of other people more highly than yourself. We're going to have disagreements. And, and Paul constantly and Peter constantly are like, this is going to happen. One body, many parts, diverse opinions. It's okay. We're not trying to make everybody sit, fit into the same box. You don't have to validate your conviction by forcing it on others. And all throughout the New Testament, it says, look, you're going to have disagreements. This is how you do it. And this is how you do it well. And that might be the key. I, this is not a surprise. But the New Testament is the key for how we reclaim a culture that is diverse in its opinions, but have, can, can have dialogue with dignity. And we'll talk about that here in a second. Now let me just take us very briefly to the New Testament. Because this word, Daniel Resolved... Uh, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in the Septuagint is the same type of word that is used in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Luke is a book about the geography of Jesus. Matthew, the teaching of Jesus. John, the miracles of Jesus. Mark, the years of Jesus. But Luke is focused on geography. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus resolutely resolutely set out for Jerusalem. All the way back in the ninth chapter, Jesus turned his face towards the cross and said, I'm resolved to go all the way to Jerusalem and to die for those people. And I'm not going to take them out of the world. I'm going to leave them in the world. But I'm going to give them my Holy Spirit that they might be a light in the world. And just as Daniel was faithful to God, Christ has been faithful to us. We'll come back to that. Now, let me put a bow on this first point. Uh, and I, I probably don't need to say this, but let me just say it. It's not about the diet, people this Daniel diet thing, you know, that kind of comes from this and people preaching about, okay, this is why we don't eat meat. I know most of us need to lose a few, but it's not about the diet. Matter of fact, in Daniel chapter 10, it talks about him eating the choice food and the wine. So we know he did. This wasn't a lifelong thing. What's it about? It's about Daniel putting himself in a position where God had to show up to be faithful. That's the only way. Daniel was saying, let me prove to you, Babylonians, that my God is real and that he exists because there's no other way that they would go fatter and be better in appearance than if God didn't show up somehow. This is about God being faithful to Daniel and allowing him to have favor and allowing him to have uh, all the compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. That's what it's about. But that being said, we might need to think about where we can put God to the test to allow him to show up a little bit. Um, I I love capital campaigns. Here's why. I don't like them for many reasons. Number one, it like triples my workload. That I don't like. Um, And just for the record, everybody chill out. I'm not softly introducing a capital campaign. Uh, We are still debt-free as an organization. Not that that's a promise forever, but that's where we are and we celebrate it right now. But you know what I love about capital campaigns? It forces people to put themselves in situation and then see God show up. That's what I love about it. I love people saying, we never, we never imagined when my wife and I prayed about that number and we put it in that envelope and we put it out there. I, we had no idea where that would come from. And then the next year we lost our business, but... Somehow, God showed up and somehow he fulfilled what he needed to fulfill through his faithfulness. That's what I love about it. And I wonder, friends, if there's an area of your life now where you could say, I am resolved to do this for the Lord and see if he shows up. Here's an example. And I think this hits on all of us now. Lisa Kitterman, who is a social science professor at Brown, uh, she has been writing, she's one of the lead researchers on this idea that there's now a rise of social media use and personality disorders, like odd personality disorders that usually have just been kind of kept under the wraps. Now they're making connections that the more time you spend on social media, uh, the more likely you're going to get a BPD or something similar. Maybe for our youth, and, uh, it's not even youth, it's 40, 50-year-olds too, maybe we could put down the phones a little bit more and say, God, you show up. Maybe we could make a financial commitment and say, God, you show up. Maybe we could be resolved to share our faith with somebody and see how God shows up. Maybe there's something in our life, in this culture in which we live, where we could say, not everybody has this conviction, not everybody has this conscience, but I am going to be resolved to live this way for you, God. And then see what he does. It is a living relationship. Here's the second thing. Act reasonably. Now, I just want you to see this. I tried to highlight it during the reading, and then I started reading too fast, but he goes to this eunuch, and he asks the eunuch to allow him to not defile himself. He, the reasonableness of him. I'm in this culture. I'm not going to like put my you know flag in the sand and say, no way, you're persecuting me. He actually goes to the eunuch and he says, if there's... If there's any way possible, I know this is a little bit weird, but would it be okay with you if I just didn't eat these things so I could show you that my God is real? And basically the eunuch said, no way, there's no, I can't do that because if you turn out to be too skinny and come before the king, it's my head on the line. And so again, he comes back to him with reasonableness and he says, how about just for 10 days? how about we just try it for a little bit and we'll see how it goes. I'm sure the whole time Daniel was praying, God, please show up. But we're in a culture that doesn't do well with reason. That's why we need to be reasonable. That doesn't mean we become overreactors. If you're in a culture that doesn't do well with reason, you become more reasonable, more kind, more gentle. For example, G.K. Chesterton uh, wrote in uh, Heretics, which is a collection of 20 essays. We shall soon be in a world in which a man may be howled down for saying that two and two make four, in which people will persecute the heresy of calling a triangle a three sided figure, and hang a man for maddening a mob with the news that grass is green. Yeah, we're, prob- we're probably there. Hey, you know when that was written? 1905. 1905. Okay, so we're, if that's true, and I know that kind of plays to this group, if that's true, and is the answer to start hand-wringing? No, friends, First Peter 3. But in your hearts, honor Christ as the Lord, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason that you have. Why is it that you believe Christ? And then it says, but do it with gentleness and with respect. And our reasonableness, if we act reasonably, then we start to be able to rejoice. Look at verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than the youth who ate the king's food. In other words, it works. God actually works. One of my daughters who um, we sent to college, I, I've told a couple of you, it, it's like, Choosing to throw your child into the lion's den, like in Daniel, into the fiery furnace. That's what it felt like. Dropping off my girl to college. I'm going to tell you which one, but you can guess. Uh, And it was that's what it felt like. Here you go. May God be with you in the fiery furnace. We gotta get through Atlanta before the traffic gets too bad. You know that's how it felt. You need to pray for my kids. My, I have no, no problem guilting you into praying for my kids. I have zero qualms with that. But the early testimony so far is this. In the lion's den, she's seen all the things that we told her she was going to see. I'm not going to name or mention them. And her conviction has become, you know what? I think Christianity works. Because all this other riffraff it's not bringing them any joy. Like, I, I'm seeing how this is playing out. And maybe mom and dad were right. That following Christ does bring you a joy and does allow you to rejoice. And it does allow your, uh, even your appearance to be better. So, we don't have to wring our hands at anything in this world. We can rejoice. Look at what it says in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord again. I will say it again. Rejoice. And then it says this Philippians 4 let your reasonableness be known to everybody. Hey, King of the eunuchs, uh, if, if you would allow me just to, I know it's weird, but I need to have this diet, I know it's this culture reasonable okay let it just be for 10 days Then can we just try that reasonable let your reasonableness be known to everyone why the Lord at his hand don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be known to God in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus we can rejoice I've got a friend of mine Hey, I didn't know y'all are over there. I have a friend of mine who uh, has a church in Amsterdam. He has 200 people in it. 50 of them are uh, white nationals. The other 150 people have been converted from Islam as immigrants from Libya, Iran, and Iraq. And that's his church. 150 conversions. Of people that immigrated into the Netherlands from Libya, Iran, and Iraq. And they all converted. And one convert who was just baptized the other day said, When I was a Muslim, they told me I had too many questions. And I laughed too much. And now that I'm a Christian, you tell me to ask anything I want to. And I don't laugh enough. Because God delights in me. I can delight in him. Rejoice. This is a guy who was ripped from his home, ripped from his country, sent into a foreign land, and found Jesus. Rejoice. Daniel, ripped from his home, ripped from his land, finds his way into Babylon. Is learning to rejoice because the Lord is at hand. And lastly, and quickly, seek revelation. Verse 17, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and in all wisdom. Now, they're not learning uh, Israelite nursery rhymes. They're learning Babylonian philosophy. They're learning the Akkadian language. They're, they're in that culture. And they're not saying, we're not going to figure this out, we're not going to learn. They're learning all of that. Now, think about where Daniel is. The other Israelites that are there in Babylon are probably watching him going, that guy sold out. Look at him running around with all the eunuchs. Look at him trying to make something of himself in the Babylonian court. What a sellout that is. And then the Babylonians are looking at Daniel and his three friends going, you guys are just weird. You won't eat. I mean, this is the greatest food. This is the greatest prime rib. This is the greatest uh, cab staff you'll ever have. What are you doing? Why won't you eat this? They're actually people without a home. But they sought revelation and they were basically assimilated into the culture and acculturated. They understood the visions and the dreams. And the reality is they could now speak to that culture and help them understand who they actually are. I look again at the text. Gave them skill and literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and in all dreams. Now I'm not, I know not everybody can go fully here. Uh, But we have over the years had people leave the church. One of the critiques that I get on a uh, regular basis is you tell too many stories. And you talk uh, about things of the world too much. And I I understand that. Um, My response is typically, Jesus told a lot of stories. And Acts 17, it seemed like when Paul went to Areopagus, he said, as your own prophets and poets have said like we are we're in a cult. we got to understand this culture that we're living in and I understand that but part of understanding the culture is to be able to show people who they really are so i sat with a friend a month ago his life is just breaking apart we're at this restaurant and i've never seen the guy cry before and he sat down and i said how are you doing and there it was a well-known guy in town, so people kept coming by trying to talk to him, and I was kind of trying to shoo him off, and it was awkward. And he said, Hey, Andy, I, I just don't know what I need. And I said, Do you think you need forgiveness? And he said, Yeah, no, that's what I need. Well, that God can give it to you. But you understand his world enough You understand the world of your friends and the world of the people around you that you can speak and understand their dreams, their visions. What is it you're longing for? It's not to solve this divorce. It's not to make more money. It's not this. What you're longing for, what your heart is longing for is to be forgiven and loved. And you as Christians, if you're a believer... You as Christians have the ability to do that, to go into this world, to understand the plight and the troubles and the tribulations of your friends and your neighbors and your classmates and your teammates and be able to extend to them with vision and with understanding, this is what your heart is actually longing for. We do it at Mitchell Road. Can I highlight a ministry or two that never gets highlighted? Marty Harrison and Jack Stout, ESL and American Citizenship. They've taken almost 180 people through American Citizenship. That's unbelievable. They need volunteers, both with ESL and American Citizenship. I didn't ask their permission because they wouldn't give me permission to talk about how awesome those ministries are. But those are ministries where people have come into our culture, and as Christians, they've said, Let us help. Let us walk beside you. Let us get these dreams realized for you. To let people know that they're loved and that they're forgiven. I sat again on that stone in Scotland. I'm teasing out the Scotland stories for a number of weeks. Here's another one. Sat on that stone. Patrick Hamilton burned at the stake for doing exactly what I'm doing right now. And uh, the problem was the wood was too wet. And so he was only burned halfway up, but he could still speak. And they had to go find more dry wood. It took them five or six hours to kill him. And he said when they were going to get more wood, take your time. This gives me more time to tell you about the love of God being burned at the stake. Take your time in killing me because as long as I have on this earth, I am going to tell you about the love of God. I love standing on those stones where the martyrs are in Scotland and looking around and thinking, this was the last thing they saw on this earth before they were ushered into the new heavens and to the new earth. But they wanted to pe- people to know the love of God, the faithfulness of God, And so seeking revelation, not only about who other people are, but who you are. Look at verse 20. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding which the king inquired of them, they found to be ten times better. What will be ten times better in? In love. In faith. And in hope. That the world would say of us as Christians, They're ten times better at loving me than anybody else. They're 10 times better at listening to me than anybody else. They're 10 times better at extending mercy. Do you remember that song that the choir sung just a few minutes ago? It gets me every time that line, and mercy without end. No end in sight of the mercy that God has for us. And so Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and walked to the cross so that we might be faithful to bear whatever cross we need to bear. Let me end with this very quickly. Walking with a dear friend of mine through a really difficult situation this week. A lot of phone time with him, a lot of phone time with his uh, wife, a lot of texting, a lot of phone time with his elders, a lot of emails going around. And at the end of the day, we finally came back to 1 Thessalonians and Philippians. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And 1 Thessalonians, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The story of Daniel is not a story of Now, be courageous like Daniel. Go be a Daniel. That's not the point. Eat more vegetables. While true, is not the point. The story of Daniel, and read the rest of the book, is that God was faithful to him. And God will be faithful to you. And God will be with you in the fiery furnace. And God will close the mouth of the lions. And God will give you the understanding and the vision and the leadership that you need. And that God will do it. And God will finish as you live in this culture for his glory with resolution, with reasonableness. Seeking the revelation of what you need to understand about this world that we live in. God will show up. And it will be glorious for people to see. In the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, we pray. This uh, world we live in is so complicated and so changing. But we pray that we would live in such a way where we can tell people that they're loved and forgiven. And that we would live in such a way... where we know we're loved and forgiven by you because of you resolutely going to the cross for us Father I pray that the rest of this week we might enjoy thinking about what you think of us and you think of us as you're pardoned forgiven Sons and daughters of the King of Kings, preparing room for us, longing to take us up in your everlasting arms, holding us by your right hand through this life, guiding us with your Holy Spirit. So it's little to ask that we would be resolved to live for you, to fast what we need to fast from to disagree agreeably, to be reasonable, and to seek more understanding of our times, of our world, and of the heartbeat of our neighbors and friends around us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.